today, as we look about uh, probably, man, close to 2,000 years ago, there was a man by the name of John the Baptist who came baptizing for the repentance of sin. He was the one to prepare the way of the Lord. And as we know, he wasn't the one, but he prepared the way for the one whom we know as the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for the sins of the world. Now, if you think about this concept of being baptized, and some churches will teach something along the lines of that you need to be baptized in order to be saved. And that actually is not the truth. In the Word of God, we see that there is only one thing that saves, and there is not a work that you can do, that is, there is not anything that you can do outside of having faith in Jesus that will lead you to salvation. And so when it comes to the, uh, the subject of baptism, it's one of those things that you need to understand what the Bible says. Because let's just say, you know, you put your faith in Jesus, and uh, before you were able to get baptized, it was your time to go home. And if you would think about it logically and even theologically, uh, systematically, you know, in what the Bible says, that faith saves, not baptism. So then you might ask, why then do I get baptized? You know, maybe I was baptized as an infant, or, you know, maybe I got sprinkled, or maybe I had a lot of sin, so they had to hold me under a lot longer, or whatever. Uh, Baptism is something that the Bible tells us, and that the Lord Jesus himself told us that we uh, should do. And what we're doing when we're baptized is we are publicly proclaiming that we have faith in Jesus. It is one of those things where we identify with the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so as you uh, get dipped into this nice little pool that we have here today, uh, you are saying, I have faith in Jesus, that I've been crucified with Christ, and now I live through faith in Him. And even as Jesus was buried in the water, uh, the water signifies being buried as Jesus was buried and being lifted up out of that into new life as Jesus was resurrected. And so baptism is really, like I said, that public proclamation of being alive spiritually and saying, I have faith in Jesus. Now, when it comes to being dead or alive, have you ever heard of the phrase wanted, dead or alive? I mean, usually when you hear such a statement, you're immediately transported, at least I am, to a wanted poster in the Wild West, wanted, dead, or alive. And you naturally think that dead or alive means one or the other, like I need that guy dead or alive either way. It means you're either dead, it means you're either alive. But today, I'm going to talk about something that's from the scriptures in Romans chapter 6, that for the Christian, it's both dead and alive. And we'll see how two words that seem to be mutually exclusive are actually very compatible in the life of the follower of Jesus. Paul, now in Romans 6 verse 1, he's going to talk about being dead to sin. And he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, I don't know if you've ever opened a tab somewhere. Maybe you went on a vacation and you had a, a tab that was opened up for your room. And so all the charges went on your room number. You know, whether it was going out to the, you know, the, the luau or, or it was ordering food in one night or whatever it might be. I think we like the idea of putting something on the tab. Hey, just put it on my tab. When it comes to sinning, Sometimes Christians will have the idea that I'm just going to put that on the tab. 
When it comes to the decisions that I make, I already know that if I ask for forgiveness, then I'll be forgiven so I can go ahead and sin and then just say, I'll put it on Jesus' tab. If grace abounds where there's sin, then my sin can just be covered by God's amazing grace. Won't that just be the case where it's showered down upon us? But once we profess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, shall we continue living in sin Knowing that God's grace covers a multitude of sin? Can I just put it on Jesus' tab? Here in Romans 1 it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Which means, shall I just stay? Shall I just stay sinning? Remaining in? Persevering in? And dwelling in sin? But once I put my faith in Jesus, shall I stay with my sin? Once I put my faith in Jesus, shall I remain in my sinful lifestyle? And persevere in my sin that God's grace should abound. You know, sometimes people have been turned off to Christianity because they've seen people that have quote-unquote gone to church or are Christians and they don't act very Christ-like. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about a desire to do what is right. A desire to do what pleases the Lord. And somebody that has faith in Jesus will naturally have a desire to do what is right, and that desire to do what is wrong will begin to diminish. But if there is no change, once a person puts their faith in Jesus or calls themselves a Christian, or whatever the case may be in that particular life, if there's no change, then there is a great concern. Now, here in verse 1, this is a rhetorical question, but it really demands us to address what is implied here. When I put my faith in Jesus, it requires repentance. I turn from my sin. Turn 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Because I cannot follow my Savior and my sin at the same time. It's one or the other. And though it may be a familiar concept for some, but for others it may be something that they never heard before. You know, hey, I gave my life to Jesus, um, or I was baptized when I was a kid, but I never turned from my sin. I just kept going down the same path that I've always traveled down. Now, for me to continue in sin defeats the point of the very reason I came to Jesus. Why did we come to Jesus? It's so that I could be forgiven of my sin. And so if I'm going to continue going down the very path that leads me to the very thing that separated me from Jesus, then why would I do that? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Now it's from John the Baptist. Now if you've ever seen any Jesus movie, you know who John the Baptist is right away without even being told. You know, he's the guy that looks crazy. Wild hair, wild eyes. Oh, that's John the Baptist. You can spot him a mile away. But John the Baptist was sharing the things recorded in Matthew 3 while he was in the desert, as he was baptizing. I mean, out here, it is really hot. If you think about where John the Baptist was baptizing, what a picturesque place to be talking about trees bearing fruit. Because they were probably looking around and noticing there aren't any trees that are bearing fruit out here in the middle of the desert. There's no water and there's no fruit and there's no life. But little did they know that that was actually representing where they were spiritually. No spiritual fruit, no spiritual life. Even religious people that were listening to the things that John the Baptist said. No spiritual sustenance, bearing no spiritual fruit, having no spiritual life. 
And in order to bear fruits worthy of repentance, you have to uproot yourself out of sin and plant yourself in the Lord. And maybe if you look at your life and maybe you've had an idea of what Christianity is or maybe you've looked and kind of admired somebody, oh, I wish I could be more like them. They seem to be really following the Lord. If you ask yourself, if I never repent, how can I bear fruits of repentance? You might even be wondering, what are the fruits of repentance? Well, really, it's the fruit of the Spirit, which it says in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I don't know if I have any of those fruits coming out of my life. You know, maybe it's quite the opposite then you have to ask yourself, are you continuing in sin or are you repenting of it? So Paul writes in Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace should should abound? And he says in verse 2, certainly not. How shall we who've died to sin live any longer in it? And really that's a great question. That's a great question. If I'm dead to sin, how do I keep living in it? Take this as an example. Maybe you've had a falling out with someone. Let's just say your name is Joan. And maybe you say, you know what? I'm dead to Joan. She doesn't want anything to do with me. Now let's take the name Joan and let's replace it with the word sin. When you came to Jesus, you have a major falling out with sin. Where, you know, that's dead to me. That relationship is over. We're done. You became dead to sin. And Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And in verse 3 of Romans 6, it says, Or do you not know? That as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. What a great thing here. That's the old me buried with Christ. And so for those of you that are going to be baptized today, for those of you that have been baptized, the old man, the old woman, buried with Christ, raised up into new life. That's the old me. That's no longer who I am, for I am a new creation in Christ. And in verse 5 of Romans 6, it says, For if we've been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. United together, which literally means this, you know, uh, congenital, implanted by birth. This phrase, united together, is the only time in the Bible this phrase is used. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Some people think that's Christianese. All the church came up with that idea, be born again. No, actually, Jesus did. He was the one that said, you must be born again. And so you're united together with Christ when you are made alive spiritually. And then that union that takes place is one of your sinful nature being crucified with Christ. I am no longer that person. I am a new man. I am a new woman. The old man's buried. Buried with Jesus, but then raised into new life. And that's what being born again is all about. 
having that new life spiritually. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter if you go to church or don't go to church. It is all about your personal relationship with Jesus. This phrase, united together, in the King James Version, is translated planted together, which I think is amazing as well. That we have been planted together with Christ into the ground. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 36, it says, When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now maybe you're seated here today, and you're thinking, you know what, I have a list a mile long of things that I have done that are wrong, that are against God, and I know it. I've tried to overcompensate for those things by doing good things, and you know what? I'm not even getting close. And then I've even come to realize that good deeds can't weigh out bad deeds. Good deeds are great. We should have more of those things, but the issue still remains of sin, which separates me from the Lord. What do I do about that? Well, in Romans 6, verse 6, it says, Know this. That once you put your faith in Jesus, that your old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now, slaves of sin might sound like a pretty harsh description to describe addicts, murderers, and the like. Man, those are slaves to sin. Those are the the, the underbelly of society type of people. Those are the worst But listen to what Jesus said in John 8, verse 34. This might just blow your mind. It says, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. So that means that if you have sinned at all in your lifetime, that you are a slave to sin, myself included. We are controlled by the lusts of the flesh and the appetites of the flesh. That means that you are controlled. Yes, I'm saying this again. We are under the control of either the lusts of the flesh and sin or under the control of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. But the good news is, is that once we put our faith in Jesus, that sinful nature, the consequences of sin is done away with. Because Jesus already paid the price for the sins of the world when he died. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus took your spot. And the sinful consequences done away with through faith in Jesus. Literally, in the Greek language, this phrase done away with in verse 6, Romans 6, can be translated destroyed or put out of business. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm extremely, extremely grateful that my sinful nature has been put out of business. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't have those wrestling matches, that we have a choice to choose to do what is wrong or what is right. When we have faith in Jesus, it means that the power of sin and the control of that sin has been broken. It's been done away with. It's been put out of business because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so we could even read, Verse 6 is this, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be put out of business, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And so you can say, as you put your faith in Jesus and you move forward from that point, I don't work for that company any longer. 
They went out of business. They're done. And what an amazing thing at that. What a blessing that is. In verse 7 it says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. So, I identify with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if that means that my sinful, fleshful, flesh desires are put out of business, then that means that I've been freed from the consequences of that sin. Jesus paid the price for my sin. And in John 8, 36, it says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Free. God has the power to set the captive free. And it says in verse 8 that now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more and death no longer has dominion over Him. Now it's appointed for all of us to be born and then to die one day. For the man or woman that has put their faith in Jesus, we do not fear what happens in the afterlife because we have 100% certainty. 100% assurance that we are going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven because of faith in Him. And if we have died with Christ, that means we don't die any longer. We've We've been raised together in life. And if death no longer has dominion over Jesus, then that means death no longer has dominion over us. What an amazing truth that is. And for the death he died, verse 10, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And so in closing here, Jesus paid the one price, one time, once and for all. And if Jesus paid the price once and for all, then that means my price and your price for sin is paid once and for all. The life of Jesus That he lived, he lived to God. So now, what a statement that could be or should be said about us in regards to how we're to live our lives. At the very beginning of verse 1, Paul asked that rhetorical question, should we continue in sin that grace should abound? Should I continue sinning now that I put my faith in Jesus? He says, certainly not. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? And then he goes on to explain how Jesus paid the price once and for all for sin. Sin no longer has control over you. Death no longer has control over you because you've been made alive in Him. And if we are to follow in the footsteps of our Savior, then we should be living our lives unto God as well. And that's why he says so powerfully in verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. If you're dead to sin and alive to God, then you have power over sin. If you do not have faith in Jesus, then you do not have that power over sin. Because that power over sin is only available to the believer, the man or the woman who has personal faith. But listen to this. When we become united with Jesus, we immediately became dead to sin and alive in Christ. And we had the power to tell Satan and the lusts of the flesh, no, I don't have to do that anymore. I am no longer under the control of those addictions. I am no longer under the control of those desires. 
I have been set free. I'm alive in Christ and I have the power to overcome anything. And so for sin to reign in the life of a believer is a direct result of a believer letting sin be in that position. That's why he says, do not allow sin. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Don't present your body as a tool for unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead. Though I was spiritually dead and living under the control of sin, I've been made alive in Christ. So do not yield yourself to sin. Yield yourself to God. May your life be a conduit through which the Lord works righteousness. You may know a lot about church. You may have family members that go to church, but maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm not as hardcore as they are. I'm not as committed as they are. I really should be doing more. Listen, we all could be doing more. It's not about can we be doing more. It's about have you made a personal commitment to surrender your life to Jesus? Have you made that personal decision to repent and turn from sin, turn from the ways of the world and follow after Jesus? Because if you have not, then the unfortunate truth is you're still dead in your trespasses and in your sins. But that's why Jesus came. That's the good news. That no matter what guilt you carry around, what mistakes you've made, what sins you've committed, that you can be completely forgiven of your sin. Entirely, totally, everything forgiven, no matter what. Even with things that you've not been able to forgive yourself for. Maybe there's things that you carry around with you and you just haven't been able to shake it. And it's always like a cloud there waiting to rain on you. But we will remove all of those things. And you too can experience the joy of being forgiven. The joy. And even I would even say relief of having the burden of sin removed so that you might know Him who created you. Knowing every mistake that you would ever commit before you were even born, still sent His only Son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins so that you might have the opportunity to know the God who created you. That you might know Him personally. Lord, we thank You, God. For the families that were dedicated to you today, Lord, and that commitment to raise their children unto you. We thank you, Lord, for those that are here visiting just to support family and to be there on a very special day. And Lord, I ask God if there are those that have came to that have come to support somebody today, and yet they have found that you have spoken directly to them that they would not ignore that, but that they would receive, Lord, exactly what it is that you're speaking to their hearts about. And Father in heaven, I pray, God, that there would not be one person here that would leave this place not knowing what great forgiveness is found through faith in Jesus, what great love, unconditional love. Maybe, Lord, they've never experienced anything like that, and if they don't have faith in you, Lord, then they haven't. But I pray that today they would. And with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus and you would like to be forgiven of your sin, you would say, you know what? I've done wrong things. Who hasn't? Well, that's actually biblical. And you're quoting scripture because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
and that there's none righteous, no, not one. And if you're here and, you know, you know that you need to get right with the Lord, you need to give your life to him. Maybe at one point you were walking with the Lord and you've walked away from him and you're saying, you know what, I need to recommit my life to Jesus today. Then today you're going to have that opportunity right now. With every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, then with everybody respecting each other's privacy, I'm going to ask if you would like to be forgiven of your sins, if you'd like to put your faith in Jesus, whether you're in the family room, whether you're out here in the courtyard, I pray, God, that you would please, Lord, minister to them. But if they, Lord, are in that place of searching and know that they need to do this, I pray, Lord, that they would make that decision today. And so with every eye closed, head bowed, without any further ado, if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus and you'd like to be forgiven of your sins, then very simply I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and say, yes, I'd like to give my life to Jesus today. Would you hold it up so I can see you? And then I'm going to lead you in a prayer of faith. Anybody, just raise your hand. And then also today, if you're here and you've walked away from the Lord and you'd like to come back to him, you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. Would you raise your hand as well? I'd like to lead you in a prayer of rededicating your life to Jesus. And if you're watching this online or from the app later on and you'd like to pray this prayer, I'd like to lead you in this prayer. Would you repeat it after me and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I have sinned, but I ask that you would forgive me of my sin and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you have forgiven me of all my sin. Would you fill me with your love and your joy and your peace? And would you give me your strength that I may be who you've created me to be? For I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for what you have done here today. We thank you, Lord, for those that have made that decision. And Lord, I pray that even in these closing moments, Lord, if there are those that are stirred up in their hearts, Lord, to get baptized, that they would make that decision today. Maybe it's impromptu. Maybe, Lord, they never really thought about it. But Lord, that they would... Make that decision, Lord, based upon what you've put upon their hearts. And Lord, we thank you for the great gift of salvation. And we ask for your blessings on the remainder of our service. In Jesus' name, amen.